From somewhere deep in the cloud and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It Podcast with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT with your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and Carl Polichuk. Welcome to episode 150 of the Killing It podcast. And by the way, fanfare woo, 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 around 150. 150 is a mile. It's a nice round number, right? Like that's when you spent. We were even just talking before that we are very close to our three year anniversary on this, which is just a couple of weeks away. But 150, nice round number, nice even divisible number. Exactly. You could do it logically in Roman numerals, which because it's almost Super Bowl time, uh, we all have to relearn how to count with our letters and fingers and everything. But once a year when we need to do those is the only time I actually care. I, I only know 40 because I remember when um, I was young, my mom worked for a company and they had their 40th anniversary and it was XL Ent. And so I know that XL is 40 and that's all I know. Oh, you know, it's also like the size I, of the t-shirt I, I wear. One, two. <laughs> well, let's, let's kick off with a fun question. What's the worst job you've ever had? Well, I am blessed to not have had too many bad jobs, but I'll say the worst job I ever had was when I was a kid. The, the chores that my dad made us do, uh, like literally we would walk, you know how they, they have people who, who walk through the woods looking for dead bodies? My five brothers and I had to walk arm in arm through the yard and hand pick up every weed, right? And we had a very big yard, right? But it was stuff like that. And like, as soon as people started giving me money, I will do almost anything. but working for free for my dad was never a fun thing see the uh, we we called those chores not jobs and that was why we were reminded you're not getting paid thank you very much uh but what i will say is that i've been very happy with all of the jobs in the tech industry right you learn something you work with cool people it it leads you where you are uh manual labor stuff not so much so uh, you guys are probably not totally surprised that as a teenager I worked in the games department at the local amusement park. Like, come over here and throw some baseballs and spill these bottles of milk or uh, wet mole <laughs> over there, right? And uh, we were the... You're a carny. I know. I was a carnival barker, essentially, at a very upscale, family-friendly institution uh, where they reminded us that, you know, you're seasonal workers, so you don't qualify for... Uh, minimum wage so you will get whatever we give you plus commission if you can figure out how to game their system that they gamed i averaged in my first summer grand i was 15 i averaged two dollars an hour working about 70 <laughs> hours a week and uh, i learned many lessons that year it's it's so it's so funny because we'll bring up that's that theme a little later today i i've also been blessed with with really good jobs i think if 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 because it's funny, the moment we had this question, I thought of I thought of my worst boss, which is entirely different, who took who took an amazing job and made it miserable. Uh, but but if I had to say the one I liked the least of my reasonably good jobs, I spent a sum, the summer between my junior and senior in college as a painter on the residence life uh, residence life crew painting dorm rooms at in, in William and Mary, and it was a job of convenience. Uh, they gave us a reasonable wage for the summer, but more importantly, a place to live on campus, and I didn't have to live at home. And so it was like a bridged thing to get me from junior year to senior year 
uh, it wasn't a bad job. It was honest work, and it was you know it didn't work us that hard. Uh, and I learned to paint walls very efficiently. Uh, I can't say it was a great job, but I also wouldn't say it's like the worst. I'll bet they I'll bet they didn't turn on the air conditioners in those dorms that summer when you were in there painting them. So not so much. Not so much. But, you know, when you're in college, you don't mind these things so much. You're used to being uncomfortable. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, one of the more uncomfortable jobs I had was working at an all night pharmacy as in college. And sometimes it was like, oh, you have the midnight to 8 a.m. shift like that kind of sucked. But, you know, I got my homework done. They paid me in, you know, real money. And it was all good. We like those things. Well, this week, brought to you by our friends at Linode. Linode is the alternative to costly and complex cloud providers. Serving nearly a million developers and organizations around the world, Linode accelerates innovation by making cloud computing simple, affordable, and accessible. As the world's largest independent cloud provider, Linode gives its partner the ability to improve margins without sacrificing performance, provide solutions that include 100% human support your customers can rely on, Scale in a platform with proven reliability, eliminate vendor lock-in, offer a smarter alternative for multi-cloud management, and design solutions with no pricing surprises. Join the movement to a simpler alternative cloud. Visit linode.com slash MSP radio. So our first topic today is, is one of my favorites only because it is complex, right? We always say, I really talk, I love talking about complex issues. Right now, we have this thing called the Great Resignation, which for the most part is a lot of people who have figured out that they don't have to work the way people used to work. And some of this boils down to really young people who have no idea what they're talking about, uh, and they, you know, they have some fallback. Some of this is people who uh, actually say, look, I'm going to go do stuff half on and half off the grid. I'm going to be dog walker in the morning and drive for Lyft in the afternoon and that sort of thing. But there's some people who truly and honestly don't get it. And I will not, I will not say the words in my show notes for this one, but we've linked to an article from uh, Mashable about the anti-work Reddit, which has been taken down. And actually, I didn't, I didn't look uh, like today whether it's back up, but Still down. basically there's a, a woman in, uh, on Reddit who's one of the organizers of this, uh, Doreen Ford, and she was interviewed on the radio and literally made a fool of herself and this movement by saying things like, oh, you know, I, th I don't think I should have to work more than 24 hours in a week. I mean, why would you if you don't, you know, if you can choose not to work, you should just choose not to work. And I always think, well, okay, that's all great until you want a house and a car and right. There are things that come with work. It's not like the world is forcing you to do this. Um, and then, you know, alternatively, we have people who say, look, I want to, I want to work as much as I want to work. And, the, the, we have to remember that the people who are resigning, there's some reason that they've opted out, but there's also some of them are just too inexperienced to understand that you've got to have a little bit of money to get by in well, life. Let's, I want to take a quick moment and separate out the media analysis required to analyze this story before I get into my points. Let me observe that, that the woman who was taken on to Fox 
She's not a leader in the movement. She's simply a moderator of the Reddit forum. And that is a different right. role, right, of which she decided to go on onto Fox News with no prep of what of the expectation or show of what she was going to be asked. Anyone who had done who has any sense of media and understanding would know you are not going on there where they are sympathetic to your cause. They are looking for <laughs> someone to make look bad on television, and they succeeded by finding someone who was woefully unprepared for the interview. So I want to for anybody who 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 sits out there and goes like, "Well, all press is good good press." No, not it isn't, and you do have to do your work before talking to somebody as a journalist. So that, this was essentially a situation where she walked into just a stupid trap that was incredibly obvious to anyone else who looked at it. Now, that said, where, where I want to, when I, I look at this space and I, I think it is incredibly fascinating because my counterpoint to this article that Carl shared was also one from Insider focusing on how the great resignation is essentially payback for employers who were demanding loyalty, but now don't supply it. And, and, and I look at this and say, like, what's actually, all, what Carl's exactly right. A lot of people are realizing that you don't have to work the same way. Organizations that have asked for loyalty have also proven they don't provide it. And thus workers are going, hey, wait a second. Why am I giving loyalty when I don't get loyalty in response? I the pandemic went bad. They didn't necessarily have the protections they needed. They did not get the, the support they needed from their employer, the amount of money or whatever it is. And they're looking and saying, wait a second, why am I being loyal when I'm also not being rewarded for my loyalty? And I want to, to observe that those employers that do offer, I don't know, good payment, good benefits, those kinds of things are not struggling in the same way that, that with those employers that are very much the, I will give the bare minimum possible. This is a complete right to work organization and you have the right to not work here. Eh. See, well, and, and I will go, again, this is an incredibly timely topic because just this past week, I, I hosted a workshop with a couple of uh, hundred folks from around the country to talk about the idea of, so there's this thing called the great, great resignation. Why? And what can you do about it to A, prevent your people from leaving and then B, attract good people. Use it as a way that you, because none of these 4.6, 4.9, 5.4 million people who are quitting are just disappearing from the workforce, right? Like they are leaving one job to go to a different job. So there has to be not just a rejection of the bad job, but they are leaving to go to a better job. And one of the things that I came across in the process here is a study done by the MIT Sloan School of Management, where they asked the question, okay, if you're leaving, why are you leaving? And Dave, as you say, you can imagine that money is one of the factors and businesses are having to own up to the fact that you know what, just because that's what you've gotten away with paying people for a generation doesn't mean that that's the quote unquote correct or the mandatory amount that you should be paying. So they said, okay, why'd you leave? And money was on the list. But then they published a thing that said, how many factors greater than money were these other things? Like it is, uh, it is 2.0 times 
2.9 times more compelling to cause somebody to leave when you fail to give your people recognition and commendation for the good work that they do. It is 3.2 times more likely that they will leave because of burnout and overwork in your hard-charging organization. But, and and this, again, this rings a bell that we all say a number of times on here, and Carl, you especially, 10.4 times more likely that they will leave due to a toxic culture, meaning the way that people treat each other, not just management to employee, but everyone in the organization, the way that they behave. If they will leave for money and you say, you know what, I will pay you more, but you have a crappy culture in your organization, you got to pay me 10 times more that delta to get me to stay. Now, you do have to pay people well. You do need to understand whether you are charging them far too much and driving them too hard and just leading them to burnout. But stop being a jerk as an organization. And it's remarkable how much more you can get out of your people. And, and I think this is... Uh, it's a painful thing to have to go through the great resignation, but I do believe it will be the legacy of a very positive thing that came out of the last two years. As employers, we all need to take a big, deep breath and look around and go, hey, is this a place where people want to come every day? Because if they don't want to, nothing else matters. And one specific example of how something that may be permanently changed, it's been overdue for 100 years, is underpaying food workers, sometimes $5 an hour when 15 is the norm, uh, and saying, oh no, you get tips. Well, if nobody can come into the restaurant, the tips disappear, and then the employees disappear because who the hell wants to do that crappy job for $5 an hour? It's great when you're serving $30 steaks and you get a 20% tip and you know the, the, the whole meal is $300 and you get a nice tip, that's great. But when it suddenly drops down to $5 an hour, you got better things to do with your time. Let me observe for all of our, our channel folks, particularly as much as we talk about monthly recurring revenue and monthly, like the stable income, remember that stable employees is a benefit too. And sometimes you have to invest to keep that, and that will tie to your revenue. A, a thought to, to think away. But we're out of time on this one, and I want to move us to something uh, a little bit different. AirTags, uh, I'm the resident Apple fanboy, although Ryan got his new Mac, so there's that too. Uh, <laughs> but AirTags are getting a lot of coverage again for the stalking that's very possible on that. Surprise, surprise, a product designed to track things is being used in nefarious ways to track people. Um, and and this, is, this is one of those areas where it is just incredibly challenging to think about the privacy concerns and Apple apparently didn't quite think through all the stalking implications for these new devices. By the way, as someone who happens to love them and I've thrown them in all my luggage on a recent trip to verify it made the connection, I love the utility of them, but I also recognize there's some scary downside to this. Guys, how do how does Apple get out of this one? <laughs> Well, I, I would say just for the record, so my first response to this was, wow, Apple invented something that's 10 years old, right? Um, they didn't invent the, the the tool or the stocking, right? They they put the Apple, you know, uh, ease, ease of use and, and extra features on top of it. But this problem isn't new. 
Apple just made it <laughs> more popular for the masses, <laughs> right? Um, you know, so, so there's that. But all of these tagging things and Apple's just, you know, the, the case of like tagging a car you want to steal, they make that much easier because it'll track that car from another state and basically uh, bad guys put a tag on a car that they want to steal. Uh, they wait until it's in a place at a time where it's convenient for them to steal it <laughs> and away they go. Uh, so it makes bad guys very creative. Um, and I think part of the way Apple gets out of that is maybe there's a default they can change that says, you know, let, let's make sure that, that certain things are in place um, because there are ways to secure these devices and to secure yourself from being tracked, but you got to turn it on, right? And, and so uh, some of it's a PR issue, some of it's an education issue. And some of it is probably going to be changing the hardware, changing the software. See, and, and that's a great point, Carl, because I do recall from the launch of these devices of which I am a, I mean, I'm a frustrated user of them because I think they have great utility, but they also really hyper frequently remind me when I'm not in the same room as my computer. Thank you very much. I understand. I didn't bring it with me to the grocery store. Thank you very much. Right. Uh, but when we first heard about the launch of these things, Apple did pre-anticipate a little bit of the bad behavior because this isn't nearly the first technology that was originally envisioned for one good application that had another nefarious application applied to it. I mean, the most successful business models online are still pornography, right? Like that's, that's still an alternative use, not on what the prescription was originally intended. Apple does have a setting in this product that allows you to be notified if an AirTag that is not yours, that's not registered to you and your device, is in proximity of you as you move around. It can notify you and say, hello, there is an AirTag in your presence that is not yours. Are you aware of it? And if not, can we disable that thing? Now, I think that that's a brilliant piece of engineering design, but it doesn't do squat much like a lot of the cybersecurity tools we have unless you actually turn that thing on. So uh, Apple needs, the worst thing you can do in PR is blame the user, right? Like the worst thing they could do is come out and go, our product is fine. It's you dummy users who aren't using it correctly. And that's why there's a problem with you getting stuck. You can't do that. But they do need to address the fact that A, there is a feature to allow you to prevent this and B, begin to embrace the cause of people who are being stalked and, and come out as an ally so that they don't come off as callous and, in, and indifferent. Yeah, it's, there's, the problem for me is, is that there's no logical answer to this. So like, for example, I can, I can go down a rabbit hole of the simplistic, well, notify someone if the item is around them, right? And make sure they've been very proximity. Yeah, but if someone stole my item, I don't want them to know their tracker and then they have the ability to turn off the tracker. On the, That's an excellent point. Right, that, yeah. they, so I, what, if, I, if they steal, for example, I have an AirTag on my bike, right? And I, if somebody steals my bike, I want to know where my bike is. I don't want the robber to get a notice saying, there's an AirTag on this, would you like to disable it? Right, that defeats right. the purpose of the, of the other side. So. This is this is super difficult for them to get the balance right on what is stalking, what is not stalking, what is proper use, what is not proper use. And this is where the, the part of me wants to, to say, like, I ultimately would say, actually, I think some of this should be make it 
A, the penalties strong enough for using the technology in bad ways that it turns criminals off. And secondly, empower users to provide information to law enforcement in a way that those could be then leveraged. So for example, rather than disable it, make it so that I can actually go to, you know, if I'm alerted that there's an air tag here, be able to provide that information to law enforcement in a way that allows law enforcement to go, oh yes, they are actually using this for stalking and we can now press charges because we have records of it. And the uh, TikTok video that we're linking to here, viewed by almost 4 million people at this point, this woman is basically saying, look, somebody put this thing on me and I can see, right, I can go online and she's got screenshots. I'm being tracked. I'm states away from where I was originally tagged. I don't know how to find this thing and I don't know how to disable it. And so it's really clear, like from her perspective, uh, she goes to the police and they say, give us the uh, the serial number and we will be able to ask Apple to disable it. She's like, I don't, right. I can't find right. it. Right. And so and then and she goes to Apple and they're like, yeah, all you got to do is this and this. And she's like, I don't know what to right. do. Right. So, so that's a, a situation where you think about how do you fix an, an user interface? Right. You look at where there's friction and you say, how can we make that do what you needed to do? And it is. A very, and that's, that's, basically a software problem. It, it is, and it's fixable, right? Because you've seen that thing be fixed in other technologies with problematic applications like that. Uh, as, as a resident movie buff here, I will make an enemy of the state reference. Uh, will Smith figured out that if you just wrap yourself in aluminum foil, uh, those trackers generally can't get you, but then you do come off looking a little bit like the bad guy. So you gotta be careful about how you approach these things. I am very concerned about the trackability implications for privacy. I think that that is a massive issue we all need to pay attention to. I don't have the answer, but I think Apple, if, if and they are making a boatload of money on these air tags. It's incumbent on you. You brought it out here. It's your job to make this thing right. I, yeah, I, I'm 100% with that. And I, I think this is where the like, hey, spend some of that giant pile of cash to make this solve the problem for the, the users themselves, like make, give empower them to be able to report, to be able to provide that information and do it, I'm sure, in a secure way that law enforcement can leverage. So let me just lob out a billion dollar idea. This is your million, million dollar product of the week before I let Ryan uh, take us to the next topic. Somebody needs to invent a device that a woman can put in her purse that blocks all tracking devices and then you know, she she will know that she is safe to go to the bar. Let's not be sexist, Ryan. Or sorry, Carl. Anyone, a device that anyone That's can use. Anyone can put in their purse. In, 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 their, in, their, in their purse or man bag or transportation device of choice. <laughs> Excellent trademark, Carl Polichuk. Uh, please remember him when you found that business. Uh, so we will go into our third topic now. And again, this is one that we love here. and We hope you guys do as well. Uh, the topic is robots. And we're going to do a roundup of a number of different stories. Because uh, as any technology approaches a more 
realistic state of maturity and utility, it becomes much more prevalent in the, in the popular media. I think we can all agree, if you, if you think of this in the context of the hype cycle, we've been to the peak of unrealistic expectations, and then we've been back down into that valley of, of disillusionment where people were like, yeah, you know what, robots are just not going to do what everybody said they would. And now we are coming back up that slope of practical application into a world where there are legit use cases, some of them industrial, some of them retail and or food services industries, uh, other things like that. Right now, we're going to link to a handful of articles that if you've not been keeping up with the topic of robots, we would highly recommend you get back into this game because there's a lot of stuff going on here. I'm curious for you guys. Um, Beyond our burrito debate, uh, where do you see the good use cases and what do you think is the most interesting part of the robot story these days? Well, I'll, I'll chime in first because it was it was interesting. The, the articles we talk about are ask questions like, can they deliver booze? Do they have rights as pedestrians? Because some municipalities have said they do. Is are they Can you outsource policing to them? They're now dealing with homeless in some areas. Or can they just unload trucks? Uh, and I, I kind of laugh and go, yes, they can deliver booze because I want my booze faster. Uh, no, they should not be pedestrians, but we have to deal with them. But but you think through what, what for me this encapsulated was the tech is moving faster than than laws, right, which is not a new problem. This is but but there's elements of we should be able to work out common sense that makes some level of, that we can apply existing laws to them. So, for example, uh, you know, when you think about delivering booze, there are laws about the way booze should be validated. And if you can't figure out a technical solution over who you're delivering it to, well, then you can't do it with a robot. Uh, there are right. Do they have rights as pedestrians? Well, we have existing laws about how pedestrian rights are recognized and vehicles and such are, are recognized. And so we should be able to use some of those lenses to apply answers to this. And oftentimes, you know, I'm going to rebel against the technologists that move so fast that they decide to break things before they think it through. It's like, well, you know, if you took a moment and actually applied the lens of practicality that we already have, you can probably get 80 to 90% of the way to the answer and it make a lot more logical sense than left it in this weird zone where we don't really have a great answer, quote unquote, because the law doesn't cover it. So are these mostly property rights or do robots have rights as quasi-sentient beings? Yeah, that's a philosophical debate we don't yet have an answer to, but... I would argue they don't have, they are property rights. I, I'm going to so, go with they are property rights because my cats are property and they are smarter than robots. So, <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be for quite a while. Right. We'll right? be for quite a while and they are deemed property. So I think <laughs> robots are, are lesser than cats. <laughs> Until you have a robot that could just randomly knock stuff off the shelf. Then, right. Then yeah, they are, then, then they are lesser that, than the cat. That's the test. I would say, you know, I mean, most of this, uh, there's, there's certain robots we don't have to worry about. Robots in manufacturing can take care of themselves. Um, but there is a distinction between robots that interact with human beings and robots that don't. You know, when a robot is going down the street, whether it's delivering beer or pizza or cleaning the street or whatever, it has to be aware of human beings and it, it has to do no harm. So, you know, 
I can totally see having some legitimate, you know, uh, rules that robots have to follow, but also that means that there should be some legitimate rules that people have to follow. You know, can some punk 14-year-old just stand in the middle of the sidewalk and keep the robot from doing its job, right? At, at some point, you know, I mean, eventually he has to go get a hamburger or something. But until then, uh, you know, he is keeping the robot from doing its legitimate job. A lot of the technical issues will solve themselves. Like, how do I get my booze legally? Well, the state issues an ID that mechanically can be you know determined to be a legitimate piece of id i put that in the the reader and the robot opens its doors and gives me my booze uh, that can solve that issue um the the moral stuff is is it okay to beat up a robot is it okay especially in the uh, in the sex industry uh the the sex robots are beat up a lot which you know, there's a whole sociology of what's going on there. But um, is that OK or is that? Well, but we can we can even apply property rights there. Right. Because you don't have the right to just destroy someone else's property out like out, out and about. So you can even apply regular conventions to get close to the way this should work. You can't destroy other people's property, even in public spaces. And, and, and see, this is the thing, Carl. I think you're on to what is interesting. In the next application, in the next phase of our utility of robots, I think it will be less about what the robot's right is and how the robot deals with humanity and more about what how humanity deals with robots and what they can and cannot be allowed to do in that situation. Right. Again, industrial technology often drastically leads the adoption of, of some of these cutting edge technologies. And I do think that whether it is mechanical car building robots or delivery bots or other things that perform industrial functions, you are going to see use cases blossom in this area. And, and as we've discussed before at length, I do not believe that is a question of the machines are taking away the people's jobs. That's not what's happening. They are supplementing the humans and making things safer, but the humans are still absolutely necessary. The question is, as they become much more valuable and functional, people are going to get nervous and they're going to take that frustration, you know, oh, you know, these people, will, these robots will not replace us and we have to protect our interests. Property rights multiplied by the prevention of commerce. There's some very sticky legal implications if you go out there and prevent the liquor store's robot from uh, from accomplishing its intended rounds. That's that's not just well, you messing with the device. That's you messing with somebody's revenue stream. Going back to the last topic, I mean, robots are the solution to what do you do when restaurants can't afford to hire people at $15 an hour, um, but they can't afford, you know, I mean, if the annual cost of maintaining a robot is, let's just say, $25,000, well, now it makes way more sense to hire a robot than a, a server. Um, and it keeps me from having to pay $15 for a beer that should be six, even though I can buy it at the grocery store for $1.50, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, all of these things are, are tied together. It costs money to have people. And we are in the next 10 or 15 years, we're going to reach a point where just because of the growth of, of our own population, we will either need to import human beings by the millions or we will have to have robots take their places. So this whole argument about robots taking people's jobs, this is the point in history where we can say that's not the issue.
Right. <laughs> and also, just to drop another movie reference into our very educated conversation, uh, the three laws are already exist in terms of how that happens. And before iRobot was a vacuum company, it it was a decent Will Smith movie. <laughs> and they, they discussed the three laws fairly. You with the Will you with the Will Smith movies today? I know. <laughs> it's it's Will Smith Day on episode one fifty, which sadly has now come to an end. Thank you for joining us for yet another killing it. Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Killing It Podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.